Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Sikeshida is the Chief of Optometric Services for the Center for the Partially Sighted, as well as Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute, and we're partnering together for this informative monthly telephone education series. Um, the Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The information presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information that will help us understand pediatric eye conditions better. And thank you, Dr. Bill. Oh, thank you very much, Sue, for always putting together these programs. And also, I'd like to thank Mr. Dick Burden, as always, for his work in volunteering his time to yes. record these on behalf of Airs LA. So we thank you very, very much. Uh, this morning, uh, we're actually going to be talking about a new topic, and this is the significance of prescribing glasses or contact lenses. Now, one of the things that we know is that for many adults who have vision problems, they could often explain to us and say, I'm not seeing very clearly. It's blurry. I can't see your face clearly. I'm having difficulty seeing street signs. I can't even see my food very well, and as a result, they'll make an appointment. They'll make the appointment generally with an optometrist, and the optometrist will fit them with glasses or contact lenses. So it's very, very simple, and you often will go to your optometrist or ophthalmologist, and you might kind of get a kick out of it because it seems like all they're doing is saying, which is better, one or two? But in reality, it is a very, very highly skilled task to be able to measure what is the prescription of a young child. Now, when children are born, it is very, very rare for a child to even have his or her eyes examined. If any of you have your own children, you might recall that you never had your child's eyes examined, perhaps until after their child was in elementary school and or the school nurse said, you know what? Your child has just failed the vision screening. And it's very interesting because for whatever reason, we often don't think of the importance of examining a child's eyes. Now, is it possible that a child is born and has blurred vision because a child needs glasses? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. 85% of children who are born have a significant degree of farsightedness, which makes it more work for them to try to focus on something clearly. Now, if a child doesn't see clearly, one of the things that it will first affect, it will affect how well a child is able to make eye contact. So one of the first things that any parent or any doctor or any therapist should look at when they see a child is, can this child make eye contact? If a child does not make eye contact, this child may indeed have the need for glasses or the child may have some sort of problem with the eyes or the visual centers of the brain that affects the ability to use central vision or it could be that the child has a visual processing problem. So when we do see children of any age, even children who are in the NICU, it's important to observe how well does this child make eye contact? If a child does not make eye contact, we then assume there's something wrong with the central vision 
And the first thing is then to measure whether or not the child does or does not need glasses. So we then have to think, if we know as doctors that almost 85% of children who are young infants have a high prescription need, why is it that children don't get their eyes checked? And the simple answer to that is most eye doctors are not trained to perform eye examinations on children who cannot talk. Many children will get their eyes screened at their pediatrician's office. And the pediatrician will take an instrument, look inside the eyes, and try to determine if there's a cataract or any other eye disease. And when you then ask, well, does my child need glasses? The pediatrician will say, well, we're not really testing for that. We can't do it until your child's old enough to read numbers and letters. Maybe when he's five or six, we'll do it then. If you were to take a child to most general optometrists and most general ophthalmologists, they will also tell you a very similar response. They will be able to look in the eye, but they will not very often be comfortable in measuring the need for glasses. So the reason that most children do not get their eyes examined really is because of the fact there are not enough eye doctors who specialize in pediatrics. Number two, we really need to educate everybody out there that it is so critical to measure the vision of children because of the fact that vision is a skill that requires proper stimulation. So what I mean by that is if a newborn child needs glasses to help them to see, those glasses need to be prescribed as early as possible. If we don't prescribe the glasses to a much later age, the visual cells of the brain, the brain cells will not be stimulated, and this will cause a condition that is called amblyopia. Amblyopia is spelled A-M-B, L-Y-O-P-I-A. And this is a very serious condition because it can cause permanent blurred vision in either one eye or two eyes. So, for example, let's say that your niece just had a new baby and the baby was one week old. The baby looks quite normal. You could hold the baby up and the baby makes eye contact. But... This child may have a condition such as nearsightedness or farsightedness and astigmatism. When a child has any of these conditions, when the child looks around the room, everything in the room is actually blurry. The child might be able to see your eyes, but your eyes are very blurry. Now, when this happens, the signals that are sent to the visual centers of the brain are very weak, and as a result, these brain cells do not fully develop. Now, let's say we go five years in the future, and this child now goes to kindergarten. The nurse goes to measure the child's eyes at the vision screening, and this child cannot read the E, not even the big E on the eye chart. The nurse says, well, I think we've got to refer you to an eye doctor because you might really be helped with glasses. You go to the eye doctors. The eye doctor measures that this child needs glasses, puts the new glasses on, and the doctor will find that the vision is still blurred. Why is it that the glasses did not improve the vision? Is it the wrong prescription? No, 
It's the correct glasses prescription, but the eyes are sending the information to the brain, and those brain cells are not mature. Those brain cells are not developed. This is a child who is legally blind due to amblyopia. So the first thing that we learn from this is that amblyopia is one of the leading causes of vision impairment of children, and it is something that if it's not diagnosed early enough, it is very difficult to treat. Now, a second condition would be a situation when a child has a misaligned eye. Now, I'm certain all of you have seen children who have a very severely crossed eye or they have an eye that is drifting outward very severely. Those cases are pretty easy because the pediatrician will usually identify that child at birth and refer them to be examined by an eye doctor. But there are many, many children where their eyes appear straight, but in reality, their eyes are misaligned by just a very slight amount. Now, when we look at a child, we can usually determine that a child's eyes are misaligned if the amount of the misalignment is 15 units, something that is called 15 prism diopters. So what this means is that if a child is noticed to have a cross or a misaligned eye and you could see it or the eye doctor could see it very quickly, that means the severity of the misalignment is 15 units or more. But there's a lot of children where their eyes are misaligned by one unit or two units or six units or eight units. And when it's at that level, you and the doctors cannot identify it unless you perform special tests. So when a child has one eye or both eyes that are misaligned, this causes double vision. Now the brain does not enjoy seeing double vision and the brain will shut off the vision of one eye. When the brain shuts off the vision of one eye, those brain cells turn off and they no longer develop. As a result, the child who has not been identified with a misaligned eye will then also develop amblyopia in the misaligned eye. So these are examples of two cases where the children are perfectly healthy and they may develop permanent blurred vision in one or both eyes simply because they did not get the eye examination. Now what about children who have other types of eye conditions? or other syndromes, children with Down syndrome, children with other types of genetic abnormalities, and children who have other eye conditions such as cataracts or retinal detachments. These kids also need glasses in many cases. If they are not prescribed glasses at an early enough age, the brain cells also do not fully develop. Children with cortical vision impairment and other neurological conditions, they may also have the need for glasses or they may also have a misaligned eye. And if we don't treat it, then they can develop amblyopia and it means that they may have permanently blurred vision until we try to treat it. So overall, this shows us that the earlier that we diagnose any of these kinds of vision problems, the sooner we could begin the treatment. The sooner we begin the treatment, the better the prognosis. 
And this was something that Dr. Christine Roman also mentioned in her lecture here in Southern California yesterday, that the earlier that you begin the intervention, the better the prognosis. So as a result, the American Medical Association recommends that all children have their first examination by a pediatric eye doctor at the age of six months. Many of you might be shaking your head or you might feel bad because you didn't do this for your child, but in fact, if you have every child being evaluated at six months, we will be able to reduce the number of children who have permanent vision loss. If a child is born prematurely or the child has another type of visual problem or other medical problems, we then recommend that that examination would be even sooner. At our office, we'll see kids generally as early as one month of age, and our doctors are able to perform these tests to measure all of the different visual skills. We will measure the need for glasses. We measure how clearly the child could see far, how clearly the child sees close. Is the child able to see colors? Does a child have peripheral vision? We measure the alignment of the eye. And we also measure, is the child overly sensitive to the bright light? So when we measure each of these different skills, we could then determine if this is a normal level or if it is not normal. If it is not normal, we will then show parents, teachers, and therapists how to intervene by doing different activities. And by performing these activities, we will then see the child every three to four months and we will then modify the activities until the visual skill is maximized. So it's very, very important just to remember that by having the evaluation, we could identify the problem earlier and we could do something about it before it gets too late. The same type of analogy would be that, you know, when you're getting up in age like myself, I'm over 50 years old, and one of the things was my doctor said, we really have to do that colonoscopy. And I said, do we really have to do this? I really don't want to do it. There is nobody in my family who has cancer. And he said, well, we should really just do it because, you know, you never know what it could be. And I said, do you really have to do it the way that everybody says? And I said, yes. They said, yes, we have to do it. Well, to make a long story short, I did have the colonoscopy, and it wasn't anything as severe as everybody had frightened me to be. They gave me the little injection of propofol. I fell asleep. I woke up. I was so refreshed. I was ready to go. And they said, well, just lay here for about a few minutes, and we want to then let you go in about 10 minutes. So I laid there, and the doctor came in. He said, you know, Bill, everything went really well. We actually found that you had three polyps. And what polyps mean is that these are growths inside your intestinal system, and we removed them, and we're going to send them to pathology because these polyps can become cancer. And so they did send it to the pathology. The next day I got a call back, and they said, well, the good news is that these polyps were not cancerous, and it's a great thing you came, but we would now like to see you every five years instead of every ten years. But to me, it really made sense because I was able to go early. It was something that they did find something that was suspicious, and it is something that may have saved my life. 
we never know at what time that these polyps can become cancerous. Well, take it another year later. I found out this April of 2013 that my father, who was losing weight, we had him go to the hospital, and he was diagnosed with advanced cancer. So it's kind of a very interesting thing where I thought, I really don't need a cancer screening. There's nobody in my entire clan who's got cancer, but I did have the test. It did find something that could have been dangerous, and a few months later, we then found out that my dad did have advanced cancer. So the main point of this analogy is just to remind all of us that it is important, even though it takes maybe one hour out of our schedule, it is important to take our children to get examined and if it takes one out or out of your schedule, you probably should get your own colonoscopy too. It really wasn't bad at all. So <clears throat> this leads to our main discussion tonight, and that is when do we use glasses versus contact lenses? Well, the first thing is that when you do have your appointment with your eye doctor, your eye doctor, you want to make certain that this pediatric eye doctor is proficient at doing a test that is called retinoscopy, and I'm going to spell this out because I want you to be able to write this name down, and it's R-E-T-I-N-O-S-C-O-P-Y, retinoscopy, and this is a technique that is performed by eye doctors, usually those who specialize in pediatrics, and what this involves is it involves the use of an instrument and it shines a beam of light into the eyes of the child. Now, when the doctor looks inside the eye of the child, we see a reflection of the light, and by looking at the pattern of the reflection, we are able to tell if that child is able to see clearly or blurred. It is as simple as that. If we look at that reflex and it is blurry, if we look at that reflex and the reflex is blurry, we then will put lenses in front of the child's eyes and it will change the sharpness of that reflex. And we continue to change the lenses until it is very crisp the way that we want it. And then we could determine precisely what glasses or contact lens prescription that child needs. This test called retinoscopy is in fact probably the most important test if we're thinking about all children. What is the most important? It would be the ability to perform this test retinoscopy. Now, why is it important to ask if the doctor is proficient in doing this test called retinoscopy? The reason is that there are many pediatric eye doctors that use these computerized instruments. You know, these age of computer technology is such that there's new equipment. And I have waited many, many years until the technology has been refined. I then found out that there is one particular instrument that is called a computerized retinoscopy. And they said this is the best. Many articles that I read said that this was the best. Other doctors told me this was the best. So I did purchase it. And it is very, extremely expensive. Well, we used it at screenings, and the first day at the screenings, every one of them came out wrong. 
Well, we found out by calling the company, they said, this doesn't work great if you're doing it outside, so do it at screenings that are inside. We then used it at numerous screenings inside. We did it at our clinics. We did it at different locations. And unfortunately, the accuracy of it, it just is not accurate enough for us. Now, it may be more accurate as compared to a doctor who cannot perform the test at all, but in our minds, we want the most precise data at all. So I then recommend that you find a pediatric eye doctor who is very proficient at doing retinoscopy, not using the automated retinoscope. So when you do call, you might say, yes, hi, this is Mrs. So-and-so. I'd like to make an appointment for my child. And I wanted to know, does your office use the automated retinoscope? And many of them are going to say, oh, yes, we have the latest in technology and we have the best in technology and so on and so forth. And then you could say, well, does the doctor also do that test? They may say, no. In that case, I would schedule the appointment with somebody else. We often find that people are so proud that they have this equipment that the doctor doesn't perform this test. The doctors who are skilled in performing retinoscopy are going to be much more accurate than the computerized one. So what does this machine, the retinoscope, do? Well, the retinoscope will tell us if your child is either nearsighted or farsighted or if your child needs glasses, and it will also tell us if your child could shift the focus from far to near. Now, once we determine if a child has a need for glasses in this way, the next question is, should we fit this child with glasses or with contact lenses? And I would say in over 90% of the cases, if we look at all children, over 90% of the cases, it will be more efficient for the child to wear glasses. But if we're going to fit the child with glasses, there's some very important rules. Number one, a child who's going to be fit with glasses must be fit with a frame that is going to fit him or her properly. Now, this becomes a very difficult situation because many children have Medi-Cal insurance, and Medi-Cal insurance will pay approximately $20 for a frame for a child. Now, many eye doctors or opticians, they want to make a profit by making these glasses. So they may purchase frames that they were able to purchase for $5. But these $5 frames are terrible. They usually aren't the correct size for a child. The earpieces don't fit correctly. The nose piece isn't fitting correctly. And as a result, these glasses often sit so close to the child's eyes that the child's eyelashes are rubbing against the lenses and the child does not want to wear the glasses. These types of glasses really don't fit well if the child is still at the stage where he or she is on her back. So you want to make certain that the eye doctor is going to have the higher quality frames, and that the frames do have a warranty. There are certain types of frames that are good for kids, and most of these frames for children are generally on the order of 50 to to $100. So in the case of a child with Medi-Cal, 
you really want to ask that doctor to write a special report that describes why this child needs this more expensive frame. And the question about how to do that, it really isn't the difficult question. It's that this child needs a frame that's going to fit him or her. If the child has especially long eyelashes, or the child's bridge of the nose is small, or the child might have unequal level ears, or maybe the child wears hearing aids. But for many reasons, we could then request a more customized frame, and Medi-Cal will then authorize that. Number two, after we pick the appropriate type of frame, we then want to use the appropriate types of lenses for all children. All children must have specialized lenses. If you use a conventional glass lens, it'll be too heavy, and if your child falls, the glass could shatter and it could blind them. If you use conventional plastic lenses, they are more durable, but they will often have that risk of scratching, and they could also crack. So we usually want to use two different lens materials in these glasses for the child. One material is called polycarbonate, P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-B-O-N-A-T-E, and the other one is called Trivex, T-R-I-V-E-X. The main advantage of these two special lenses are they are lighter in weight for the child, they are thinner, and they are more protective. In other words, you cannot break these lenses. You could hit it with a hammer, and these lenses don't crack and shatter. So it provides a lot of protection against any physical injury to the child. The optics of it are excellent, and also they do filter out the ultraviolet radiation. So this is going to protect the child's eyes when they're out in the sun. These two types of lenses are a little bit more expensive, but in all children, they really should have this type of lens. Another nice feature about this type of lens is that they can also be tinted, and they could also be made in the form where they will convert from clear inside the house and turn into a sunglass when you're outdoors. So by having the appropriate size frame, having the appropriate lens style, it's going to be much more comfortable for the child to wear the glasses. Now, there are certain types of situations in which a child will benefit from wearing a contact lens. And the main reason when a child will benefit from a contact lens is if the prescription of the child is so powerful that the glasses are so thick that it's very difficult for the child to wear the glasses. So the most common example of a situation where a child's glasses are going to be extremely thick and it might be uncomfortable for, for a child to wear it is cataracts. Cataracts is a condition that a child may be born with or a child might develop cataracts. Many times it is inherited. Now, if a child is born with a cataract, they require a thick lens, and these lenses truly do look like the Coke bottles. Now, if a child is not able to wear that particular type of lens because it's too heavy or too thick, we will often then fit the child with a contact lens. 
The advantage of the contact lens is that the contact lens could be placed on the child's eyes, and we really recommend that the parents insert the contact lens on the child's eye while the child is still asleep. So let's say that the child normally wakes up at 7 or 8 in the morning. We tell the parents, why don't you put the contact lens in before your child wakes up? It'll make it much easier for you. Now, the contact lens being directly on the eye, optically, the physics of it is such that it is something that is much thinner, and this does two things for the child. Number one, it gives the child better peripheral vision, and number two, the contact lens is also something that can even provide the child with sharper vision if the child has a corneal abnormality. The cornea is the tissue on the very front of the eye that the contact lens sits on. So there are some children who may have corneal abnormalities, and by putting a contact lens on, a child may in fact have even better vision with a contact lens as compared to glasses. But even if a child does have cataracts, it's important to realize that during the cataract surgery, when the lens of the eye that is clouded, which is called the cataract, when that clouded lens is removed, the child no longer has a lens in the eye that could change shape to focus far and near. So what this means is that all children who have received cataract surgery and have been fit with a contact lens, they still must wear a bifocal lens to enable the child to see both far and near. This is one of the biggest mistakes that we often will see is that a child is born with a cataract, they remove the cataract, they fit the child with a contact lens beautifully, but that contact lens is only focused to look at 20 feet away and further. Everything that's closer to the child is blurred, and as a result, these children do not develop good eye-hand coordination. They do not develop strong eye contact skills because they can't focus on things that are near. So any child who has received cataract surgery and has been fit with a contact lens must wear a bifocal lens. Now, you're probably then asking, what about the child who has had cataract surgery and has been fit with glasses? Should that child also have a bifocal? And you're absolutely right. Anytime you remove the cataract, the child no longer can shift the focus from far to near, and a bifocal lens in the glasses is necessary. Now, a second condition in which a child may benefit from wearing a contact lens would be if a child has a very high degree of nearsightedness. Nearsightedness is a condition where the child can only see clearly when things are very close. This may happen for a child who has retinopathy of prematurity or if there's a family history of high nearsightedness. So for these kids, they could be fit with a contact lens, and that contact lens will be much thinner than a very thick pair of glasses. It will give the child very clear distant sight. It gives them better peripheral vision. And also, a contact lens can also slow down the progression of nearsightedness. 
So for many children, if they have nearsightedness at a very young age, we will fit them with a contact lens to slow down this progression of nearsightedness. Other types of conditions where a contact lens can be very, very helpful are for special cases. For example, if a child is very, very light sensitive, they just can't even open their eyes. Let's say that the child has albinism or they may have a condition called achromatopsia. These kids are often very, very light sensitive and they may literally come into your classroom or come into your office and they'll put their jacket or windbreaker over their head to reduce the light. Well, these kids, you could try fitting them with sunglasses, but often the sunglasses are not dark enough. With sunglasses, there are still also gaps where sunlight could get in. So we could fit them with a custom tinted contact lens where there'll be no area that the light can get into their eyes and they will always be looking through a dark gray lens. So this is something that's very, very helpful. Another condition may be if a child has a cornea abnormality. There are conditions that are called cornea dystrophies and the child's vision might be very blurred. By fitting them with a contact lens, it could greatly improve their clarity of sight as well. An example of corneal abnormality is called keratoconus, K-E-R-A-T-O-C-O-N-U-S. Keratoconus is that condition in which the cornea becomes too steep. Now, this usually begins to affect kids after 10 years of age. But as their vision becomes blurred, you may fit them with a contact lens and it may improve their vision. Another special case of a contact lens can be the child who has nystagmus. In some cases, if a child's eyes shake rapidly from side to side, you may fit the child with a rigid contact lens and it can reduce the nystagmus and it could help them with their cosmetic appearance. But what I have found is that almost Every, every case of nystagmus of a child, I have never observed a child who reports that the world is shaking unless they develop the nystagmus at a later age. So in other words, all children who are born with nystagmus, they do not see the world shaking from side to side. But if a child was involved in an accident or suffered from a stroke, at the age of two years of age, these kids may complain that the world is shaking, and this is when that type of contact lens could be very important. And a last condition where the contact lens could be very helpful is for the child or the adult who has severely dry eyes. Some children who have Steven Johnson syndrome, it's an abnormality to the mucous membrane, they can have very severely dry eyes. Other conditions with severely dry eyes, there are specialized contact lenses that can be placed on the eye to enable that child or that adult to open their eyes. So all in all, when we're talking about the use of either glasses or contact lenses, they are very effective in improving the clarity of sight for the child. If the child needs a very powerful lens, we then begin to think of the benefits of a contact lens. 
or if a child has other types of visual conditions where they are very sensitive to light, they have nystagmus, we can then also use the contact lenses. Now, you may then ask the question, are contact lenses covered underneath healthcare plans? If a child is suffering from low vision and has these severe types of cases, we can write letters to the major medical insurance companies and there's also Medi-Cal, and they will provide coverage of the contact lenses for the children. Is it extra work? The contact lenses are generally going to be extra work, but we can teach the parents or a caretaker how to very easily learn how to clean the contact lenses. By cleaning the contact lenses, it usually takes 30 seconds for each lens, and then you disinfect it in a solution overnight. That's it. In the morning, you will remove that contact lens, you will put a wetting solution on it, and then just apply it to your child's eyes while your child is asleep. As far as children putting on the contact lenses themselves, the youngest that I have ever had, it has been five years of age. This boy was about five years of age, and he was just so comfortable with having his mother put the lens on, he just decided that he could do it himself. So it is not overly difficult. There are some cases where the doctors will recommend a rigid contact lens, other cases where they will recommend a soft contact lens, and even some cases where there will be the use of a disposable lens. Now, to tell you when each of these need to be used, we really need to examine the patient first. But as a general rule, as a general rule, we would prefer that most people do not, that they do not sleep in the contact lens because when the contact lens is on, while a person is sleeping for 8 or 10 hours, that is when bacteria can potentially get under the lens and it can cause some problems. So we usually try not to have a child sleep in the contact lenses. What about the child who has a distorted eye or has a severe scar on the eye. You may have seen a lot of children where the cornea of the eye is very scarred and that eye just doesn't look good. There are also prosthetic contact lens shells, and these are absolutely amazing works of art where the contact lens can be painted to match the color of the child's other eye. And it is so absolutely incredible when you see these prosthetic contact lenses on the eye that you can't tell that it's a prosthetic contact lens on. You just really can't believe, you know, that the eye is not the natural eye. But the one thing I do want to share is that in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, when a cosmetic prosthetic shell is going to be fit on the eye, the child cannot see through that contact lens. However, there are now new prosthetic shells being made where the pupil, the black portion of it, it is actually such that light can pass through it and people can use the vision of that eye also. So all in all, um, there are many, many beneficial uses of glasses and contact lenses. Now, the last thing that we'll talk about is we talked about that many children may have blurred vision 
in one or both eyes. And if we catch it at an early enough age, we're going to begin treatment. The types of treatment that we may use is patching, where we may give the child a bandage patch that sticks onto their eye. But overall, most kids do not like that. So we prefer to use glasses, and we will put a patch over on top of one lens of the glasses. If a child has the need for that type of patching, we will then recommend glasses because it's much easier to perform the patching therapy if we simply have to put the patch on the glasses. If we have to put a patch on the skin of an eye that is being fit with a contact lens, that could be uncomfortable. But we also have that second choice that in some cases we will use an eye drop that is called atropine, and by putting that eye drop in one eye, it will blur the vision of that eye and it will force the child to use the other eye. And this is how we perform the therapy to improve the vision of the weaker eye. So we can do glasses with a patch, or we could do the eye drop. The problem with the eye drop is that most children don't necessarily like the eye drops. The eye drops last about three days. If we put this eye drop in the eye, it blurs the vision for about three days, and it also makes the child very sensitive to the sunlight. So during these early years when we are trying to improve the vision of one eye or both eyes and it involves patching, we will usually think about using glasses before we do the contact lenses. If we do the treatment consistently, we will find that in a short amount of time, 6 to 12 months, the vision is now improved and we could then go ahead and do the contact lenses. So at this time, I'm going to go ahead and ask any of you who have questions. We've got about 10 minutes left, and you can unmute your phone by pressing star 6, and you can announce your name if you like. You don't have to, but any questions you have, um, I'd be willing to take it now. Thank you. Yeah, I have a question. I am working with a child that has Marshall syndrome, and um, she has a severe, moderate to severe hearing loss and has used contacts since six months old very successfully. Um, and they, they wanted to patch her and recently recommended patching. I know we're talking about patching next, next month, but um, they wanted to patch her and recommend patching her by taking one of the contacts out and keeping the, contact, the other contact in the other eye. Have, yes. you, have yes. you heard this? Do you know about this? Do you... Yes, let me go ahead and respond to that. That's a very good question. Now, in this situation, if a child is wearing contact lenses in both eyes and both contact lenses are focused very sharply on the world, if you remove the contact lens from the stronger eye, it will then force the child to use the weaker eye more so if, if, if this child is what we call very farsighted. So if this child has a high degree of farsightedness, it will work to remove one contact lens. However, if this child is nearsightedness in both eyes and you remove that one contact lens, it can be such that the child continues 
to use the eye that you remove the contact lens and that child only looks at near objects. So in this case, the important thing, the important piece of data to find out is, is the prescription for this child, is it a plus prescription or a minus prescription? The plus prescription means that the child is farsighted and the minus prescription means that the child is nearsighted. If the child's prescription is plus, you should be able to remove that single contact lens and things should work out well. Great question. It's, it's interesting. She's, she's a really smart um, child, and so what she's done is she's just learned that um, she just closes that eye and she uses the, the, the other eye, and it, um, it, uh, it works kind of, in my opinion, opposite. And which eye is she closing, her good eye or she's closing her bad eye? I, I believe she's closing her bad eye. Yes, if she is closing her bad eye, then she is still saying, even without the contact lens, I could still see better out of my good eye and this treatment isn't working. You may then go ahead and encourage the parents maybe to put a pair of glasses. They could buy a very affordable frame and just put a piece of scotch tape over her stronger eye and that will force it to use a weaker eye. And next month, we'll talk about the activities to do that are most important to improving the vision of that weaker eye. But very good question. Thank you. Is there another question out there? Dr. Bill? Yes, go ahead, please. Thank you. I, I have a question. I have a little boy I'm working with who has a significant gift. He's farsighted in one eye, nearsighted in the other. Mom had a terrible, terrible time contact in. Um, the doctor finally did prescribe glasses, but said that he won't be using both eyes together. Yes, that's a great, great case there, Nancy. Um, first of all, if a situation occurs where a child is very farsighted in one eye and very nearsighted in the other, that is also another situation where contact lenses can be easier for the child. And the reason for that is if a child wears glasses where one lens is for farsightedness and the other lens is for nearsightedness, the child very often will see double vision. So the first choice is to try and fit that child with a contact lens in one or both eyes. Now, if the child, for whatever reason, is poking the contact lens out all the time, then it may be necessary to go with glasses. And in that particular situation, it may be very helpful for part of the time that child will have one lens of the glasses patched so the child could see single and we could improve the brain cells that respond to that eye. And then another part of the day, we patch the other eye and let the other eye send signals to the other part of the brain. Then we hope that as the child then gets older, we can then fit that child with contact lenses more easily, or there's also even refractive surgeries that may be beneficial. I had a similar case as what you're talking about, and we had this, the most difficult time with keeping the contact lenses on, and the ophthalmologist and I discussed this, and he then decided to insert what's called a implant in the eyes, 
that had the child's prescription. And in that way, the child couldn't poke out the contact lenses. The images were more equal, and the child didn't see double vision. So that's a very, very great, great case that you brought up. Thank you. Hi, does anybody else have questions about either glasses or contact lenses uh, for children and infants? Okay, great. So hopefully I've covered most of these uh, topics there. And this particular podcast, again, I want to thank Mr. Dick Burden and Ayers LA for all of their work and volunteering their time to do this. This podcast will be up at the Ayers LA and the Braille Institute website. So for Ayers LA, it's www.airs, that's A-I-R-S-L-A dot org. And you could click the link Vision, and then you could click the link Braille Institute, and they'll all be there. And Sue, I know that Braille Institute has redone it. Can you let everybody know where they could find it on the Braille Institute website? Yes, yes, thank you. Um, if, when, when you get to the Braille Institute website, you click on Child Services, and if you go to Child Development, you'll see on a sidebar, Telephone Education Series. Click on there, and you will see um, this podcast and the, the podcast archive from previous calls as well. So we hope to, we should have it up in about, hopefully within the next two weeks. Great, great. Well, I want to thank uh, you, Sue, and uh, Dick Burden for doing this recording. I want to thank all of you for listening, and we will see all of you next month when we then begin to talk about strategies to use for patching to improve the vision of children. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Dick. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night, everyone.